0: smith and this is more than one lesson thank you everybody for listening a special thank you to robert for being part of the show last week talking about florence foster jenkins uh that film by the way is available on blue dvd and blu-ray um so seek it out it actually is a very good movie uh not necessarily a perfect film but it is very good so if that was keeping you from listening to the episode uh seek out the film watch it and then go back and listen to what we had to say uh Right now, I would like to welcome in my, my new co-host, at least new for this week, uh, Reed Lackey. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tyler. All right. Glad to hear it. Here's the deal. We will be talking about a film called A Monster Calls, mm. directed by J.A. Bayona and written by Patrick Ness based on his novel. Now, when I saw this film uh, and reviewed it, I thought it was going to get a nice wide release. Hmm. Now, it has gotten a wide release, certainly by the time this episode posts. Sure. But uh, at the time, like I posted it and I told everyone I know, like, hey, you got to see this movie. Everyone's got to see this movie. Yeah. It's playing it at the moment, because we're recording this several weeks before this episode goes up. um, It's playing in like two theaters in Los Angeles. Right. (laughs) Which means it's not playing anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Um, But... Uh, hopefully by the time uh, you're listening to this or by the time you see that this uh, has posted uh, hopefully it has come to your city Uh, I think it gets I think honestly, it got an it got a December release in case there are any Oscar possibilities. Yeah, and then it's getting a wider release uh, in mid January. Right, so, right. Uh, so check your uh, check check your lo- local listings, as they say, and uh, and see if it is playing near you. If it is, seek it out. It is a marvelous film. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I was telling Reed that. Uh, as of right now, the film is either my second or third favorite movie Mm. of the year. If it is third, it could bump up to second. And if it second, it could possibly bump up to first. Mm. Um, it is a film that I, I had a feeling it would affect me, but I actually, it affected me on such a different level than Mm. what I expected. Um, it's about, you know, this young boy whose mother is dying of cancer and his various flights of fancy that, uh, that uh, help him to not merely escape that situation, but also to cope with it. Yeah. So already I just thought like, all right, we're dealing with grief. That is obviously, you know, d- death of a parent. That's obviously a thing for me. Uh, and the film actually is about so much more than just grief. It yeah. is about bigger things than grief and grief is already pretty big. Um, and, I I found myself challenged spiritually, challenged personally. Definitely. Um, The way that I live my life, um, the way that I carry myself, Uh, this film really got to me on a number of levels. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and we can talk about that in a moment, but uh, I know that you... Read the book. When did did you? How? It's a relatively recent book,
1: right? Maybe the last uh, few years. Oh, now I'm going to be a bit remiss. I think yeah, the last four or five years, maybe a a terribly brief book. Um, uh, Honestly, the it would probably you could probably read the book in about the amount of time it would take to watch the movie. Maybe maybe thirty to forty five minutes longer than that. But I think I read it. I read it in a single sitting, and I think it took me maybe two two and a half hours to read the book cover to covers very brief um but i had read it and uh honestly this is this is a movie that i saw the trailer and i was like hmm a monster calls already the title intrigues me because my love for horror and all things monsters and everything and i so i i checked out the trailer and Got a little weepy at just the trailer. Sure. So I was like, okay, this is a story I'm going to need to see. I'm going to need to probably check this out. And then, you know, saw that it was based on a book. I was like, well, let me just see if the book's available at the local library. And it was. And so then I read the book and was floored. was just absolutely Mm -hmm. floored by the story. I will say... That the movie is a very faithful adaptation of the of the book, uh, only only a couple of minor changes that they made, which I think was just for time, um, maybe a couple of structural things. They did add a nice visual cue towards the end that I thought was really a nice touch, a beautiful touch uh, that is specific to the film
0: and would probably not play as well in a book. Correct, like that Absolutely is a wouldn't. visual choice and good for them.
1: Yeah, and it would need to be like if it were in a book, it would probably need to be illustrations. You could sure. you couldn't textualize. The, the emotional weight of what you're seeing yeah. on the film. So very, very smart choice by the director and and probably by Patrick Nesson adapting it as well. But uh, it, is, it is such a profoundly affecting story. When we watched it, um, I watched it with my wife and uh, I jokingly, uh, hi honey, I love you, uh, she punched me <laughs> towards the end of the film because uh, it was just so... So sad, you know, and, uh, and so it was, it was joking, teasing thing, but, you know, punched me right in the arm. Like, why do you make me watch these sad movies? But it's one of those, for me, it was one of those, uh, sort of cathartic emotional experiences. Like it definitely touched on some places that are difficult to talk about or difficult to think about. But, um, as I'm sure we'll get to in the course of the conversation, this film and the things that it's exploring uh, might uh, might actually be you know, immensely helpful in some ways in trying to trying to sort of understand the the process of dealing with hard things, maybe yeah. not even just grief, but just yeah. dealing with dealing with hard things. And uh, I, I think the film is the, the the metaphor of the monster in the film is profound yes and i think that's the first and still the the largest thing that i respond to is the fact that it is you know a monster that is incorporated into this story and not you know a kindly soft figure it's not uh it's not a gentle inviting figure it is something wild and scary and unpredictable yeah. um and i think that's key to what the story is is driving at yeah. and what it's trying to explore and i'd say without getting into too much detail at the moment
0: i'd say it's a uh, pretty key for any christian that might be watching <laughs> uh, because as, yeah. you, as i watched it, i just thought like wow this is are these people christian because it doesn't i don't think so and yet here we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a bigger, scarier Aslan has gotten involved. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite
1: quite literally, yeah. as a matter of fact.
0: <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, so as I said, the story um, seems to sort of exist outside of time to a certain extent. Like yeah. it, it takes place in, in England. Uh, I've heard reviewers refer to it as gothic as far as mm. the, the, the look and the tone, you know, because you have – Uh, These characters, I think it's officially modern day, but again, these characters live in like a small flat and, and they live next to like this old grassy hill (laughs) with an old stone church and a graveyard (laughs) and a giant uh, German expressionist tree. Um, And so they just live on the they live in a modern world on the outskirts of a fantasy world, right, which is about, right. it, which is pretty appropriate. Um, but then also things like when, uh, the, the main character Connor goes to his grandma's house, yeah. her house is expressionistically clean sure. and, and, um, uh, antiseptic and, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So, um, so visually, um, the, the choices of art direction, the choices of light and shadow and color or the lack thereof, um, are, are, they, those choices are notable. And, yeah. and it definitely makes the film seem – there are times when I thought, like, is this film too gray? Um, cause it's a very, it's a very gray film. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought like, no, I don't think so. It's, it's it certainly, it's, it's color palette, um, or lack thereof once again, um, uh, certainly matches the, the, the feeling of the main character. Sure. Um, to the point that when I when I think of color in this film, the thing I think of first is the the fire of the monster. He's oh, not yeah, a right. he's not a fire monster, but there's a fire inside him. And so, mm-hmm. like when he opens his mouth, you see this bright orange, right? Uh, and it's it's sort of like the introduction to of color into this kid's world, right? Um, you know, even his illustrations are you know either in black and white or just very muted colors or whatever. Um, everybody looks pale as can be they all do Um, yeah so uh so yeah just visually i'd say just even before the monster shows up the choices are are indicating without overly stating um how we should be looking at this kid's life Mm -hmm. and um and really it's so fascinating this character You know, and appropriately, I'm jumping into character right away because I love the character of Connor. I love the way he's played by Lewis McDougal. It's one of my favorite performances of the year. And this is a character that is, he lives in a very gray world. By which I mean, you know, literally in that it's very dark and colorless, but also figuratively because he does not live in a black and white situation. Right. His mom is not dead. Right. Nor is she fully alive. Mm-hmm. She's in this gray area, and so that's where he is emotionally, mm-hmm. um, and it is taking its toll on him. He is constantly tired. Yeah. Uh, people say it. Um, he is allowed to do basically whatever he wants in class because because his teacher knows the situation about his mother and is just not as so. When he's just quietly like drawing and not paying attention to the lecture there comes a moment when the teacher first says Connor and you think he's going to scold him. Yeah. But instead he's actually very understanding. And so Connor is in this position where people are trying to protect him. And in doing so, uh, they're essentially allowing him and, you know, with the best of intentions, allowing him to continue to live in this limbo Mm. where, by by not requiring him, for example, to focus on schoolwork, they're basically allowing him and forcing him to focus on his mom yeah. all the time. Yes. Yeah. And so those facts uh, are, are so interesting. And you just get a sense that this kid is about to just drop. He looks tired. He oh, looks yeah. sickly. And he just looks like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. Understandably so. Sure, And it's i don't know so it's again i i i guess um i'm a fan of expressionism and while i'd be reluctant to say that this is an expressionist film it definitely is a, a film that takes its visual cues from the inner life of its main character which by its definition is is expressionistic so sure sure um so yeah uh and we can get into story stuff in a moment um but that's the thing to talk about story, to talk about visuals, is to wind up at character. Absolutely. W- yeah. Which will then eventually get you into theme. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I really loved this movie. I, I went to a critic screening and I thought, why did I do this? I'm going to cry this uh, whole time. <laughs> right, right. Um, and uh, there are a couple moments where I almost did, but the film is not... I don't think it's trying to make you cry. I think if the tears come, so be it. But I think it's trying to do, it's trying to do right by its characters and do right by its, its story. Right. Um, there are some films that I think are trying to, I remember Roger Ebert said this about patch Adams, that it's a film that's (laughs) trying to surge. It's not just a tearjerker. It's trying to surgically remove (laughs) the tears from your tear ducts. Um, it's so true for that movie. (laughs) And this is, this is not that I did not feel manipulated at all. mm -mm. Um, and I don't know. I just I, I can't say enough good things about it in general. And sure, it's, sure. To the point that I, I almost I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the film by simply saying it's great. So back to so on to the <laughs> companion film, you know. Um, but one thing that that does happen. So this kid is his his mother is dying uh, of cancer, and. Out of that large tree by the uh, by the old church uh, comes this, this large and intimidating, frightening monster voiced right. by Liam Neeson. And this monster first shows up and is very vague yeah. and is very scary and basically says, I'm going to come back several nights in a row and I'm going to tell you some stories. Mm-hmm. And he comes back, and and the stories that he tells, first off, are animated. Right. And I'd say beautifully so. Definitely. Um, And the stories are always – always seem honestly – like parables, um, sure, or or at the very least like fables, mm-hmm. and it's just there are stories in which you think one thing is going to happen, you assume something about this character in the story or that character in the story, only to find that oh wait no it's more complex than you thought, it's more complicated than you thought, and what so that's what happens at night, and then during the day Connor is dealing with his mother, he's dealing with his grandmother played by Sigourney Weaver, he's playing sure. with his his. Father who lives in uh, Los Angeles who comes to visit, played by uh, Tony Kebble or Cabell. I don't know how you say his last name. Uh, I would, I would say Kebble, but I could be wrong. That's probably right. Um, and so he's dealing with all of this stuff. Uh, he deals with bullies at school, and the bully is likely attracted
1: to him. He might be attracted to the bully. It's hard to say. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of an undertone there that I was I was appreciative of. That if it was going to to induce that element, that it didn't make it, uh, it didn't make it overt uh, in in the story, and not not because I have any particular feelings on it one way or another, but it just did so would not necessarily have fit in this story. That is something that I, it's a choice that I love mm-hmm. because
0: there's this feeling of. If this were a different movie Mm -hmm. or if this kid were going through something else, then we would be dealing more overtly with his feelings towards this bully or the bully's feelings towards him. That would be what this movie would be about. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There have been movies made about that sort of thing. Absolutely. But there's no room for stuff like that in his life. Mm -hmm. He can't, you know, he might be attracted to this bully or the bully might be attracted to him. But who cares? His mom's dying. You right. know, it's almost as though it's such a neat idea and one that I think some people could look at as, as, a, as a narrative flaw that like, why would you introduce this if you're not going to pay it off? It's like, because when you're in this situation, nothing is paid off. Everything right. is a subplot. Yes. Um, including stuff with his dad, you mm-hmm. know, there's all these other elements because life is still going on, but you're at best 50% there. Right. At best. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I love that inclusion, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and the fact that like, because he is where he is emotionally, the, the eventual payoff, uh, of the bully stuff pretty much guarantees that they are not going to dig, dig into the attraction element. No. Right. Of course. Um, And so, and that says just how much his, his current emotional state is dictating how he deals with these other subplots of his life. Right. Um, so yeah, just even choices like that, I find so inspired Yeah, and it's, I don't know anything about, uh, Patrick Ness. I don't know what his life experiences have been, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's been in this exact situation because it feels so honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, and the, the, the central relationship is, I guess, between Connor and the monster, but the secondary relationship is between Connor and his grandmother who is rather cold and calculating and does not really have room in her life for this kid, but it becomes very clear that she's going to be the one to take care of him right. when he, when, uh, his mother is gone. And to watch the two of them come to that understanding and get to a point where they're sort of okay with it mm-hmm. um, is, is really great. And I like that this isn't a situation where Connor is demonizing his otherwise nice grandma because uh, she's not his mom. And he wants to be with his mom and she's, and she's not going to be good enough, but then nobody would be good enough. It's not that. It's that she's not that great. You right, know? right. And she knows it. Mm-hmm. And so it is a situation where they are both coming to grips with this. Sure. And honestly, this is the best uh, character that I've seen Sigourney Weaver have in
1: years. Yeah, yeah. She normally plays rather, uh, it's not her fault because um, I think she's a very capable actress yeah. um, and, has, and does as much as she can with any role that she's given. But I do note that she's, in my estimation, often given very one dimensional characters, or very, I shouldn't say necessarily one dimensional, but usually one note characters.
0: I think that's correct, yes. And I think a lot of it comes down to Hollywood not knowing how to use actresses her age. Hmm. Especially actresses that. So she's more than middle aged. I'd say she she's probably in her 60s. Uh, yeah. I don't know for sure. At least late, late 50s. Late 50s, early 60s. Um, but. She doesn't read as old. Right. So right. she's not to that point yet where she can play old characters. Right. I'm sorry to put it in those terms, but, you know, as opposed to somebody like, say, I'm sorry, she's my favorite actus, actress, so I'm not, I, I don't feel bad saying this. Somebody like Kathy Bates. Oh, okay. As sure. She got older because of her body type and because of the way she looked, like she she was immediately a character actress and right. got great, per- great parts. Absolutely. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver is in this weird, she was a movie star. She mm-hmm. was a lead, an mm-hmm. attractive lead right. and she's still attractive. Sure. But she's in this transitionary phase where I think Hollywood's not sure what to do with her. Like, mm-hmm. do they still go with like the tough Ripley type, like in Avatar? Oh, right, right, Or right, right. do they just relegate her to cameos mm-hmm. like in Cabin in the Woods? Sure. Uh, and so this, it's a full, it's a supporting character, but it is a full-fledged, three-dimensional, lived-in character. Yeah. And it was so nice to see her play that. Um, she has to put on an English accent, and I think it's to her credit that she try that she doesn't overplay it. Yeah. Some people might think it's too subtle and that she's not hard, hitting it hard enough, but to me, it's like I'd rather she, because I don't think she's she's um, phoning it in or anything like no, that. I no, think no, she's choosing to play it subtle. Either because she, maybe she doesn't have total faith in it or because the nature of the character is subtle and quiet. This is yeah. not a, a woman that's going to be like, hello, <laughs> young Connor.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, your mother's a bit sick. You want to come stay at my place? Yeah. That's so you know. funny. She watches Mary Poppins tell right. what yeah. not to do. When
0: yeah. you're- <laughs> you want to come sweep my chimney, Connor? <laughs> your big monster friend can help with that. Oh, so uh, that's my terrible cognac accent, <laughs> by the way. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, that's um, funny. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's the secondary uh, relationship. And that one feels earned as well. That's the big thing for me with this film is every beat that in any other film I would be cynical about. Mm-hmm. In this film, because of just the time given to the characters and the way the story is structured, uh, I feel like everything is earned.
1: Yeah. Oh I, I wholeheartedly agree. I love I love the grandmother that she's you know, what I wanted to what I was thinking about when you were talking about the character and how subtle it is. She's a very orderly character. That's yes. in the narrative, that's that's in the construction of who she is as a person. She's a very orderly character going through something that is the textbook definition of disorderly and yeah, she has and no control over this. No. And so that they really do a great job uh, in both the The book and especially in the film of highlighting that for her character this is an element of frustration for her that she she can't she's continually trying to control what she can and failing yeah um that it is utterly uncontrollable i don't know that i've used this phrase publicly i don't even know if i've used it like even among this some Christian podcasts, so I I know. I know. Um, even among some of my friends and family, but in my in my heart and mind, I have a, a term for what the for what the mother's going through. Basically, for any and I, and I broaden it from this, but for any person who's going through something that you know, you're either going to come out of this and be okay, yeah. or you are not going to come out of this. Yeah. Whether it be a relationship, whether it be uh, an illness. Something like that. In my head, I call that that land, that landscape, uh, between better and gone. Hmm. And that's why I say, like, I, you know, I don't throw that phrase around flippantly because to do so might be to, to trivialize both of those outcomes. But you're either going to be all right mm-hmm. or you're not going to be all right. And yeah. it's going to be over uh, either your life or your relationship yeah. or something. You will be defined by loss at that point. Exactly. And so – these characters for the for the duration of the mom's sickness are living in this landscape of what i have termed between better and gone mm-hmm. and that is a chaotic terrifying you know landscape it it's terrifying to the boy for a multitude of reasons yeah it's terrifying to a degree to the dad because he's being pulled, and this is a bit more prominent in the novel, but it's definitely present in the film that he's being pulled in two directions with the life he presently has and the life that is steadily slipping away in back in England. Um, and then of course, for the grandmother who, as we've already said, can't control any of this, it's something that it's something that becomes immediately apparent that this this, like you said, is this sort of gray, gray territory and I think because of that again getting back to the metaphor of what better to populate this landscape than a monster than a a beast of some sort that you don't know if it's trustworthy that you don't know if it's here to help that you don't know what its intentions are or what its methodology is going to be regardless of its intentions Um, it's a very it's a very frightening thing because it's a very frightening landscape. It's a, yeah. it's a frightening territory. And, uh, one of my, one of my favorite lines, I have so many favorite lines in the, in the film, but, uh, the, the monster of course embodies the, the visually and in moments within this narrative, it's literally the yew tree that is sitting yeah. on their property. And, uh, that specific type of tree, you, of course, Y E W the the yew tree uh, as a metaphor for healing or as a metaphor for just a a a a, a thing of peace and a thing of hope is there um, but then that a monster emerges from it I think is significant one of my favorite lines in the film is when the mom is telling uh, Connor about a new treatment that she's going to try that's developed yeah. from yew trees. And she's like, yeah, they just, they cut it down and, and they use it. And then uh, she said, it's sitting outside of our back door the whole time. You know, we could have just cut it down ourselves. And she said, but we won't cut down that one because that one's a friend. Yeah. And I don't know why that one got to me so much, but just that, that notion of this, this frightening thing, this wild uncontrollable thing is somehow still a friend. Yeah. And, Uh, Yeah, there's a multitude of spiritual metaphors that you could make for that. I know. This this film is just so
0: full. It's Mm -hmm. so full of things um, to talk about. And, um, you know, one thing that I actually want to do, the companion film – which I want to actually get to so that I can then move on. Okay. Because yeah. the companion film is actually not a thematic companion, although it is a little bit. Sure. Um, it's more uh, artistic. Mm. Uh, and that is uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth from 2006, 10 years ago now. Beautiful. Um, uh, the film won Best Cinematography, Art Direction, and Makeup, uh, rightfully so. It stars, among others, friend of the show, Doug Jones. Uh, yeah, and has, um, has a couple of roles in that. That's movie. right. Uh, a couple of very uh, iconic roles at this point. Mm-hmm. The, the Pale Man has become something of a uh, pop culture icon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is kind of amazing. Um, and yeah, and in that, it's the, I believe, the Spanish Civil War, correct? Yes. Um, that's going on. And uh, there is this a uh, little girl who is who fa- I, it's i don't know exactly even how to characterize it she finds herself in the midst of these fan- of these fantasy elements in the midst of a bloody gory horrifying war mm-hmm. situation yeah. and this a a fawn played by Doug Jones, um, shows up to give her these missions, you Mm -hmm. know, and these missions are fantastical in nature. Mm -hmm. And so she's doing those, uh, and sometimes they interact with the real world. Other times they don't. And it's just, um, and so it it blurs those lines, and it very much does seem to play like uh, a kid trying to escape or it, trying to cope. Certainly, yeah. Um, by making the real world more acceptable mm-hmm. uh, by with, with these other elements, um, and the film is a visual marvel. Um, it is, I would say, it's it's the most Guillermo del Toro a movie could ever be. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it definitely is. Where. Because he he's always had a, a sense of childlike wonder, mm-hmm. but he also has a deep darkness to his uh, to his um, uh, stylistic choices, mm-hmm. um, and he is not opposed to gore. And there's right. gross, horrifying. Gore uh, in yeah, this film. Definitely. Uh, but there's also, again, this sense of whimsy and magic, but a very dark magic that you can't completely trust all the time. It just, sure. It's this balancing act. And, you know, uh, he's done some great movies elsewhere. Don't get me wrong. But I think this is the movie. Oh, it unquestionably. Is the, it is the essential
1: yeah. If you're there. only going to see one of his films, there is no, yeah. c- there is no comparison in yeah. his other, even though, yeah, I agree with you. He's made at least three I could name right now that I think are very good, if not great films, yeah. other films. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth is where you need to go to to understand his work.
0: Yeah, it's I, I'm uh, tangent. Um, I'm always fascinated to think like, OK, if you can boil a director down mm. to one Film. Yeah. Which would it be? You know, and so, like, I go through, like, director by director, and some it's easier. Sure. Some it's harder. Mm -hmm. Spielberg. Yeah. Spielberg is a tough one. It's a tough one because you have mainstream popcorn Spielberg and then serious artist Spielberg. And so, which one is which? Right. um, And which one is more him? Right. You know, and so I would say something, I'd say for him, it's, I want to pick something that combines the two. So yeah, I'd say yeah. something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm. which, yeah. yes, oh, aliens coming to Earth, there's a spectacle quality to it, but it's also surprisingly personal and very deep in a way that something like, say, Jurassic Park is not.
1: Yeah, see, for the exact same reasons, I would probably have picked E.T.
0: It's probably one of those two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think because Close Encounters could be called hard sci-fi. Right. 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 Um, whereas ET I think is more full on entertainment. It's great. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I feel like close encounters brings enough, like it, it's fun enough, mm-hmm. uh, that it could be considered not necessarily a blockbuster, but mainstream entertainment, but it doesn't sacrifice these other elements as well. True. But true. I'd say it's between those two. Yeah. Um, man, Spielberg a tough
1: one. <laughs> uh, you know who else is tough as Scorsese. Uh, I was, he was the one that I thought of when you, yeah. when you first brought up the thing. Cause I was like, how do, how do you even choose between something like a, a raging bull, uh, versus like taxi driver and, uh, yeah. oh, Goodfellas good yeah. fellows or, or last temptation. Oh yeah. I'd say it's probably one of those four.
0: Sure. Um, sure I think most people probably say Goodfellas Um, mm. I'm, pr- they'd probably either say Goodfellas or, or raging bull. Yeah. I would, I would be inclined to say either of the other two, because I tend to like his movies about loners. Mm, Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, we've gotten off on a tangent, and yet somehow it's the only place I want to be. Stanley Kubrick, what do you think? My vote would probably be 2001.
1: Yeah, I think for Stanley Kubrick, it would have to be 2001. Uh, I I would see an argument made for A Clockwork Orange. Um, interesting yeah because because of some of the themes that clockwork orange is playing no. in and how those themes relate to the rest of the body of his work um, but i think 2001 does a similar thing and yeah yeah d- uh, 2001 i wouldn't debate that that specific uh, choice for to encapsulate his work
0: okay let's pick one more Hang
1: <laughs> on. uh, i would say Coen brothers uh, but i feel like it's fargo yeah, i feel yeah, like it has to be yeah, fargo yeah there's a, there's i mean in, in time, people will start making a case for No Country for Old Men, but for yeah. for the duration, it's going to be Fargo. Fargo yeah. is the embodiment of their work. Yeah. there. I mean,
0: there are some that it's actually surprisingly easy sure. to do. Um, Even for people who have made
1: a multitude of great films. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think, I think for them, uh, what would you say for Hitchcock?
0: Oh, boy. Um, I have an answer. Hitchcock. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, okay, it's between a handful. It's between okay. Vertigo, okay, Rear Window, Psycho, North by Northwest, and Notorious for me. Okay. It's between those five. That's a big <laughs> between five. Between five. I will, I'll throw Notorious out. Yeah. I'll throw Psycho out. Yeah. So it's between...
1: Vertigo, Rear Window, and North by Northwest? Yes. Okay.
0: So is, is your choice one of those? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Vertigo... Might be a little bit too psychological because he was a mainstream filmmaker. I agree. North by Northwest, however, might not be psychological enough. (laughs) So I'm going to say Rear
1: Window. (laughs) And we've landed. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, was going to say North by Northwest. Okay. And the only reason is because North by Northwest encapsulates a lot of the espionage qualities of some of his earlier yeah. films. Um, whereas Rear Window, I, I usually tell people if you're gonna if you're gonna see like one of his suspense films, I do think probably Rear Window is 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 a very good yeah. choice, if not the best choice. But I say like the best in my estimation of understanding what what are their tendrils of all of his work in, I would probably point to North by Northwest. Listeners, in the comments section, you can talk about the filmmakers
0: we've discussed already, or you can throw in <laughs> out others. I we could have this conversation for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's so true. But we can't. Yes. Uh, that's right, we were talking about Cameron Toro. <laughs> that was a long that feels like a long time ago. Oh wow. Um okay, so uh I wonder if I should put that in the show notes or just let it be a fun surprise. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. If you haven't seen it, seek it out, but be ready. There's an intensity to it. There's a, a yeah. genuine horror quality to oh, it. Yeah. Unquestionable. Um, but it is, it is, uh, probably one of the most beautiful movies you'll ever see. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay. So I, that's, that's it for the companion film. Yeah. Yeah. And so while we are dealing with, um, we are dealing with a kid who engages in fantasy to get away from a terrible situation. Like there's definitely a narrative element as well. Right. Right. But as far as the, um, as far as the themes that I want to explore here, um, mm-hmm. that is where I think we're going to leave Pan's labyrinth. Um, though there isn't a, a, a there is a, um, a quote here, um, that somebody says to the little girl in Pan's Labyrinth, she says, you're getting older and you'll see that life isn't like your fairy tales. The world is a cruel place and you'll learn that even if it hurts. Mm. It's a bleak view. It is. Uh, and yet to a certain degree, I agree hundred <laughs> um, percent. But um, so now we're going to get into some of the themes, but, and also the way they intermingle with the artistic choices of a monster calls. And it just feels it almost feels intimidating. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So I'll lead with this. Okay. There was, a, I, I wish I'd taken the time to to look it up, but there was a review of A Monster Calls by a critic that I thought was remarkably dismissive and smug. Ooh. He was complimentary of certain things, specifically the music. The music is very good. Oh, the, the music film. is gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but he had said something along the lines of uh, this isn't exactly what he said but along the lines of it's like yeah okay we get it it's okay to grieve blah 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 moving on oh my gosh wow i read that and i think yeah first off i think that's on a surface level i think even that's a misread it's okay to grieve mm, right right it's grief is it i'm not sure if i would even use the term grief in regards to this film because the character is pre grieving and he's grieving the situation, but it's not the type of grief that we would talk about, which is he hasn't lost her yet. Right. Right. He is losing her and that's a very different process. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, but again, that is the most superficial read of the, of this film's themes in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think it uses grief and it uses the specific, um, the specific element of, not merely loss, but losing. Yeah. And he uses that gray area to explore something much deeper than grief, deeper than love, deeper than anything, yeah. which is uh, the way I say it is, is honesty. Mm-hmm. Or I guess you could say truth. The film does talk about truth. Truth, yeah, um, heavily. And it's it's so fascinating to me. And so here's, here's what I'll say. Uh, listeners, if you have not seen this film i'm going to be spoiling something now it's it's a thematic spoiler hmm. but it is still this is not a twist right this is simply the cul- the emotional culmination of the film and maybe you don't want me to say it you yeah know, you yeah. will you will want to arrive there yeah i agree uh, on your with mind. that so we've been talking about how difficult it can live it can be to live in this gray area of not being one place or another, and so Connor seems to be running from something uh, throughout the whole film, right? And the monster keeps confronting him about it, you know. But first, he says all of these stories, these three stories that are uh, that are about people that are contradictory in certain ways, yeah. And then he finally confronts connor in a in a moment that is just so it's not scary but it's loud it's calamitous it's it is for lack of a better term scary because this monster is not going to let connor go harrowing is the word that that came to my mind when i was watching it he's not going to let connor off the hook right and in that moment he seems at his most monstrous Mm mm-hmm and he just and he's saying, I want you to tell me something that's true, mm-hmm. you know, and he just pushes him and pushes him. And like there's all these there's all these, uh, you know, it's very loud and there's just chaos going on all over the, the very place. ground is fracturing yeah. under him. And so finally, Connor yells it out because he knows what the monster wants to hear. Yeah. He might not have ever put it into words, but he definitely knows the feeling, and what he yells out is, "I want it to be over."
1: Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it hits me even just hearing you say it. Again. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And if
0: you, I, I mean, it is that realization. I want it to be over. Well. In this instance, we know what over means. Right. Right. Now ideally I want it to be over and my mom is cured, but Connor is not dumb. No. Regardless of how people treat him, regardless of how much they try to shield him, he is not dumb. Mm-hmm. And he knows what's he knows what's going on. He he strives he, he latches on to hope where he can, but he knows what's going on. And he knows that over the reason he's not willing to admit it is because he knows that over means dead yeah and for him to say i want it to be over is essentially in his mind meaning i want my mom to die so that i don't have to deal with this anymore it sounds in in his mind so selfish right and it's the kind of thing that no one would ever want to admit but everybody has felt Yeah. Uh, in regards to any number of things, this is, this to me is what the film is about. It's using loss because there can be a limbo element of loss when it comes to terminal illness. Sure. Um, so he says that and he feels so terrible for even feeling it, much less saying it. And then when it is time and his mom is about to go, um, Ugh, it's hard for me not to get yeah, teary eyed yeah, about this, yeah. but like he's in the hospital room, the monsters there with him and we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, and the monster says, you know, now it's fine. It's time for you to say something that's really true. Yeah. The other thing is true, mm-hmm. but this is the deeper truth. Yeah. And, ugh, and the kid says, I don't want you to go. Yeah. Those are, that's black and white, right? Those are the two right. poles. I want it to be over. I don't want you to go. Mm-hmm. He, he can't be in either one of them right now. Right, right. Except, and here's the thing, they're both true at the same time. He's living in both at the same time. Yeah. And it's easy to focus on the truth that makes us sound worse mm-hmm. and not even entertain it. Because if you entertain it, then I don't want you to go doesn't it's like well that's that's a lie now right clearly i do want her to go why else would i be thinking this and so the film which shows such a tremendous understanding of human nature unlike most movies i have seen understands that as the as the monster says human beings are complicated yeah there are t- i uh, here's an example i love my wife I love her more than I thought I was able to love anybody. Right. There are days when I will just look at her and I will smile and I will delight in her and I will be astonished that I am with her. There are times when I'm, she and I have said this, I'm sure you've said it with your wife. There are times when I have to remind myself, that's a whole separate person. <laughs> right. Um, she's not simply a part of me, but she feels like she's a part of me right, now. Right. It feels like it's weird to believe that there was a time that I didn't know her. Right. But for 20 years of my life, I didn't know her. Yeah. But now she's integral. And now she is my life. So that is true that I love my wife. Right. Here's what's also true. I have hated my wife.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: What's also true is that I have looked at porn Mm. while married. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's also true is that there have been times I've desperately wanted to be alone. Mm. And not just alone, like, go to the other room. I mean, right. alone. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is not a thing that, honestly, not a thing that Christians are often allowed to say about marriage. Right. We can say, right. like, yeah, we fight and it's difficult. We don't say, there will be times when you hate this person. Mm. And the last thing you want to do is be with them. Mm. But to admit, th- and that's the thing is, that's true and the other thing is true. Mm-hmm. But often the, and, and this flies very much against my central life philosophy, or at least <laughs> the way I've approached relationships is that the love is probably more true. Sure. I tend to respond to things like if somebody says something negative about you, let's say it's a, a loved one. Yeah. They say something negative about you and then they say something positive about you. Maybe not one right after another. I will believe the negative over the positive because people will lie about positive. Yes. People have no reason to lie about negative unless they're going out of their way to hurt you, which this being a loved one, they won't go out of their way to hurt you. I mean, they might, but they likely won't. Whereas they will go out of their way to make you feel better about yourself. That's true. So I will always believe the negative over the positive. Correct. Yeah. But a movie like this is so honest it's so honest and it's so correct mm. that this kid he wants it to be over and to him that seems like the ultimate truth and the truth you cannot admit but when the monster gives him permission and the monster characterizes you know what the deeper truth is what you are feeling is true right but you know what's even deeper than that, which yeah. is I don't want you to go. I may hate my wife sometimes. I'm sorry to even put it that way, but you know what I mean. I try to characterize it a certain way. Sure, yeah, sure. I may hate my wife sometimes. I may may want to be alone sometimes. And that is true in that moment, certainly. Um, But the deeper truth is that I love her. Sure, absolutely. You know, um, I am sad that my dad is gone, for example. Right, right. But there are probably some, you, okay, so here's, here we go. Honesty. Mm. This was the first thing my mind went to. I am sad that my dad is gone. I wish he were still here. However, I've lived a pretty privileged life for the most part. Yeah. And when you live, a, especially these days, when you live a life of what people, have, what people would call privilege, they don't really have much reason to listen to you. What experience have you ever had that would allow me to listen to you? Why would I ever take you seriously? Right. You've had a great life. Right. Well, I've experienced one thing that other people haven't. So listen to me. Uh, Yeah. You know, it it provides you like emotional cred. Yeah. And there are times when I've thought that and I felt so deeply ashamed. I I don't think like, oh, thank God, my dad. I never think It's never that. Right. But it's, it's always like. I always worry that it's a card I'm playing mm-hmm. even when I know I'm not, right. but it's, it's, it's the realization that like eh, people might be more willing to listen about certain topics because I've experienced this. Right. And I, this film actually helped me to re to express that verbally knowing full well that while that might be true, while there might be some quote unquote benefit in the ab, most abstract uh, definition of the uh, term. While there might be some benefit to my dad being gone, the real truth, the deeper truth is that I wish he were still here. I wish, you know, the deeper truth is that I love my wife. The deeper truth, if you want to get even larger, is that I have tremendous doubts about the existence of God and about the character of God. Right. Right. Um, But the deeper truth is, and there are times when I feel like I don't even believe in him, but the deeper truth is that I do and that I may not always feel connected to him, but he's always there. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like culture and especially Christian culture says, do not admit the negative things. Don't admit that you hate your wife. Don't admit, again, even then, like... I feel reluctant saying it because it sounds so definitive. Sure. So, I'll say, don't admit that you sometimes can hate your wife. I'll put it that way. Yeah, sure. Don't sure. admit that there, that grief and death and loss can be complicated over the years. And right. you can start right. to see some weird level of benefit to it. Right. Don't admit that you sometimes doubt that God is there when you're praying. Right, right. Don't admit that. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, somehow that becomes concrete truth yeah but it's not the it can be true but not the whole truth and not even the bigger truth sure and like this is the stuff that a monster calls made me think about so you see what i mean when i say this is not a
1: film that's merely about grief this is about everything oh no it completely is something that so you keep using this word and i think it's so appropriate um this thought is forming as I'm saying it. Okay. So, so listeners, uh, provide me a moment's grace. You keep using the word admit, admit, admit. <clears throat> and so, as I'm reflecting on this movie and what it raises up in me, so admit – uh, obviously, in the context of the language you're using and the sentences you're saying, admit means you know owning up to it, uh, mm-hmm. confessing it, things like that. But what do we talk? What is another uh, definition of the word admission? It's entrance. It's acceptance. Yeah. It's there's there's something that you are you are stepping into it now and if I can scratch at this visual metaphor that I think the film does a better job of doing, but trying to encapsulate these thoughts I've said before, I've said it, I think I've even said it on this show that the thing I was unprepared for in being a parent is how my capacity to be angry at this, this person that I so deeply that, that without a moment's hesitation, I would give every drop of my life's blood for. Mm -hmm. And yet he cannot listen to me all day and boy the fury that will that will well up in me and it's it's this apparent sort of dichotomy and, and the same thing can happen with a marriage the yeah. same thing can happen with a a parent uh, you know with your parents you know that you can feel this simultaneous moment of you know it is rising up within me to to do you harm yeah <laughs> and yet it is also deep within me to take upon myself any harm that i would yeah. do to you. And it's 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 kind of this funny thing where Interesting way of phrasing that by the way. Oh really? In
0: Christian terms.
1: Oh yes. Yes, see, to take upon ourselves that, And boy, this this film is chock full, it. so full of it. It's so chock full of it. but the 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 thing that i think about is you talk about this this truth and then this deeper truth. So there's like there's a there's a truth that's Somewhat uh, be- beneath the surface, and then there's something that's like bedrock and core, yes. and you know something that's even deeper than that. What I kind of view it as is, I view that, and not that I'm actually negating what you say. I think that's a very. That's fine. Appropriate... I'm not super thrilled with how I phrase it, uh, but I think about there's this there's this deep underbelly that is perfectly acceptable i don't want you to go i love my wife i love my son i love my parents i all, all of these kind of things those are the deep things that we can say and we can admit them but then when it comes time to deal with the pain when it comes time to deal with the complications when it comes time to deal with the the elements that are not public knowledge, the elements that are not pretty, the elements that are not cozy, the elements that are not comfortable. When it comes time to deal with that, it's like there's a fog that creeps in over those other elements, the elements of love and affection and devotion. A fog creeps in over that, that if we do not, if we're not brave enough to call that fog out and, and slice through it and say like, hey, th- this is what this fog is. And if we are not willing to admit that to ourselves, then it will overwhelm and overshadow those other feelings. It's how you know anger and frustration can lead to bitterness if not dealt with. It's how those things can lead to a deeper resentment and to a, a fracturing of the relationships that we hold dear and that we would give ourselves completely over to. But that's, that's why we have a need to, if, if, if couples go for 20 years, Without ever acknowledging, like, hey, occasionally you suck. (laughs) Like, occasionally that choice that you made was categorically, let me put it in more palatable terms – that choice you made for a week and a half was palatably was was categorically unfair to me yeah and you were not fair to me you did not treat me well and that caused because i'm a human being with flesh and blood and feelings and emotions that caused me to feel negatively towards you because if anybody else in my life had treated me the way you just treated me for a week and a half i would cut them out of my life yeah but because there's a deeper bedrock of my devotion affection loyalty and love for you i will not do that but if you are not willing to address those things that creep in uh the i want it to be overs the 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 traumas of things if you're not willing to speak honestly and candidly about them now There's some nuance and some context that has to be addressed there. You can't just, you know, he doesn't need to air this out with the bully. (laughs) Right. You know, there's certain people in your life that it may not be the most appropriate, healthy, or wise thing to address this need to. But we have a tendency, particularly in Christian circles, to not address it at all.
0: Yeah. To not Uh, say it. To ourselves,
1: even. Yeah. I can't admit that. I've heard people, I've heard people say, you've probably heard people say, don't be mad at God. And, at, mm-hmm. and and even more so than that, even if you are mad at God, deny that you're mad at God. Mm-hmm. Don't ever say that. I encourage, I'll do, I'll do it publicly right here, I do it for myself. I am very open. I'm more open in my prayers than I am to any other living human being in my life. And I don't say that as a badge of spiritual honor. Mm-hmm. I just have come to understand the necessity that when I get alone with God, there is no thought that's hidden from Him. So why should I hide anything from him like if I get in there and I'm mad that our finances didn't shape up when I was praying and hoping and waiting for months for it to happen I'll address that with him you know and I don't often it doesn't usually follow with some rosy scripture verse that says oh here you go you know here's the answer to all of your problems but there is usually as this film sort of hints at a healing element that comes in and that's something that This is the first time I lost it in the film. I lost it, uh, and tears began streaming down my face, at least seven or eight times in the course of the last third of this film. But the first time that I lost it is when Connor, after the second story, is confronting the monster about, why have you come? Like, yeah. why have you come? You're supposed to be helping. You're supposed to be healing. And the monster simply looks over his shoulder and says, and so I shall. Yeah. And I knew already, because I'd read the book, I knew where it was going. I yeah. knew that he wasn't talking about healing and making the mom better. Yeah. I knew why that monster was there. And I, I just started to lose it. Yeah. Because so many times, we demand for what we think will be our own sanity. Like, God, if you are there... You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's Martha and Mary outside the tomb of Lazarus. Like, if you had been here, the bad thing would not have come. The bad yeah. thing would not have happened. You're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to help me. You're supposed to do all this other thing. And we translate that as being that the bad things must never come to us, that they must never happen to us. But instead, so frequently, um, frighteningly frequently, um, when – God enters into our life, it is very much for reasons that we weren't even realizing we needed more than the thing we're begging and thrashing and demanding to have happen. And he's there always as the monster is for Connor, always reaching for that, that deeper thing. Like we're going to have to deal with this thing before you ever can even begin with all this other stuff. Like it's, it's amazing to me things like uh trivial things that we get so uh fussed up about like our jobs or like our finances or things like that that are that are definitely impactful for for the rhythm of our day-to-day life but we get so caught up in them as if they are ultimate things yeah and i do think about it from time to time like how frequently the lord must look at me and just say like you realize this is a non issue <laughs> like yeah. this is this is not at all i would love to get in and start dealing with your you know bad theology or your emotional baggage or all of these other things and you're so caught up on you want this bill to be paid like yeah. that's nothing that's nothing in the scheme of who you are because no. we define things by those elements that we can see, that we can control, elements that have a plus or minus end result, uh, the better or gone thing again. But this monster for Connor is concerned about getting to the root of what he's truly experiencing. And so frequently for me, I know I've experienced it and I've seen it exhibited in other people, that when the Lord shows up, he is often much more attentive to the thing we weren't even realizing yeah. we needed help with and oftentimes it can feel like he's a monster yeah it can feel like god is is a a beastly figure in our life stubborn and unwilling to to do what we demand that that he do yeah. for us and it's not until we get to the the other side of the story uh, to, to use some of the metaphor that monster calls uses. It's not until we get to the rest of the story, the end of the story yeah. that we realize like, Oh, this is, this is why you came at all. You know, like yeah. a beautiful touch that the book does not have at all. It's nowhere in the book. Cause it can't be in the book. Um, but translates so beautifully. I get the distinct impression that in her final seconds, of, oh yeah, uh, spoiler, dramatic spoiler, <laughs> uh, in the final seconds of the mom's life, that she sees that monster, mm-hmm. and I get the distinct impression maybe it's uh, maybe I'm bringing this to the story, maybe the story is is putting it forth to me that she's tremendously comforted by yeah. seeing this monster and that it is a release and a peace yeah. that she can go because it's it's something, and I think that's uh, further solidified by the the image that we get towards the end of the film, the final yes. image of the book, um, that this thing, which is so frightening and so uh, propulsive and destructive and and it's so chaotic, um, it is a friend. Yeah, and it is here to heal us. And the bottom line is most of the time, we have a resolution for our problems. If this would happen, my problem would be would be better. It right. would be gone. But a most of the time, we really don't know what would fix our problems and what would solve yeah. them and what would make them better. We are not the best judges for understanding those resolutions. Um, and even so, like the monsters' stories, it's not quite as simple. It's it's not quite, sometimes yeah. to use the monsters' language. Sometimes witches need saving, or you know, uh, murderers. Live and are beloved, and yeah. and all of these other, all of these other these other things, other things, is very very complicated, and not fair. And not fair.
0: A murderer who is then um, then beloved, and literally nobody knows right what he has done. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. Um. You know, it's 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 frustrating, but it's complicated, and that's the way things are. You know, yeah. and I'm sorry to, and while it very. It, it, the phrase that's the way things are can be very uh, cynical and it can be, be very discouraging um, I think the monster as a character is so well defined um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great performance by Liam Neeson because yeah. he has to start as genuinely intimidating and soften mm-hmm. but never lose the authority but the the authority is now on your side and it's like it is a comforting authority if there is right. such a thing. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, you know, when this monster is, is saying these, these things uh, about, you know, with his stories and that sort of thing, it just feels so – it's weird that <clears throat> the cadence of the monster is simple mm-hmm. and definitive. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is incredibly complicated. Yes, and contradictory, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly contradictory, um, and I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like this is a this is one of the best depictions of God I've ever seen. Yeah, it really scary is. scary. Yeah, at first, seemingly unmoved by our by our pleas, right? Um, but able to cut through. Uh, But without malice, cut through our defenses, cut through our ideas of what life needs to be Mm -hmm. to get to something deeper, something truer and something more healing. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's worth noting that when Connor finally says admits this truth to himself, You know, I said he's tired. He hasn't been sleeping, and then he finally can sleep. And it seems, and it just seems like such a, you know, it's it's weird. Um, I'm sure people have been in a situation where they haven't slept for a long time, and then they can, and then they finally sleep, and it's a deep, rejuvenating sleep, and they sleep for hours, and then they finally wake up, and it's like that is so much what I needed. I've I've been in situations where I've been tired. I've been depressed. I've been in a bad bad place. I've been angry at people. I've been like so angry. I've wanted to like cut off relationships with them Mm. and I'll, I'll like pray at the end of the night and say like, I'm so angry and I don't even know why do whatever you need to do. I don't like, this (laughs) is frustrating. Yeah. And then I would go to sleep and I would sleep (laughs) for like 12 hours and I wake up and it's like, I don't, there's not a drop of anger left. I don't know where that, I don't even so much. So I can't even imagine how I arrived at that anger. Right, Right. Um, and so uh just there's something so there's a uh uh I think this was in um The Quiet American the the Graham Greene novel yeah mm-hmm. where he's talking about a woman that he loves and he describes her as uh, he's using these various metaphors and uh or I guess similes and he says uh she's like the the promise of rest Oh. oh, not yeah. rest itself. The promise, the promise of rest, that, like yeah. long day, <laughs> but you know that your bed is on the horizon. Yeah, And when, um, and when Connor finally admits this, he sleeps, the monster tells him to sleep and he lays at the monster's feet <laughs>
1: and sleeps comfortably and soundly
0: for the first time in however long.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that you say that. I was thinking for the past couple of minutes while you were talking about a Paul Simon song that I love. It's on one of his lesser albums, but it's a song called Quiet. Um, it ends the, the You're the One album. Um, but Paul Simon's song Quiet starts this way. It says, I'm heading for a time of quiet when my restlessness is past and I can lie down on my blanket and release my fists at last. Just this idea of there's a moment coming when I don't have to be so pent up, when I don't have yeah. to be so tight. Like you talk about that promise of rest, that there's there's something on the horizon where I can actually be at peace. And again, you know, that song is uh, titled Quiet, you know, like yeah. a, the, the a, a place of stillness and, and rest and no man. more chaos. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of great. <laughs> it's
0: like, very inviting, even as we're talking about it. And like, I didn't, like I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. So I mean, I'm like, man, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I could really, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, so one thing that I do want to talk about, and this might be the, the, the last big thing that I wanted to say, um, uh, in approaching, the monster as God and I don't think I'm out of line in making that comparison no I wouldn't say so I think even even the most ardent atheist would look at that and think like oh okay I think I see a metaphor here (laughs) Um, the thing that really it's uh, we are so in the in the we're so in line with Connor that we we definitely start to see the monster the way he does. We we see him first as intimidating and scary, and then just obtuse and frustrating. Right. And then eventually, and then still forceful, but at least sympathetic, and then maybe even a little bit fun mm. with the smashing up of the house and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, But ultimately... But ultimately challenging. You know, that's mm. at the very last moment when the, not the very last moment, but when the monster is is pushing Connor to finally admit this truth, Right. Um, you know, it's weird. Connor doesn't, he, he doesn't see the monster as an oppressor at that moment. He's not angry at the monster. He's just resistant. He's not mm. going to say this. And then once he, once he does, then yes, as we said, he sleeps at the monster's feet. But it's then time for him to go see his mom one last right, time. Right. And he says like, will you, I forget if he asks, but he says, will you come with me or will you be there? Mm. And, and sure enough in that scene, you know, the, the hospital room, mom's there, grandma's there and Connor's there. And right behind him is the, is the monster, this big right, monster. Right. And it's just this idea that, I I'll, I'll put it this way. Um anytime somebody passes away or anytime somebody's going through a bad situation, um we we Christians tend to talk about like we we pray that God will comfort you. Mm. I for the longest time and even though I've been in that position, even I don't totally know what that means. Yeah. Like a comfort out of nowhere? Mm. What does that even mean? Mm. Um you can be comforted by something, by which I mean the fact of something, by by a development. You can be comforted by the fact that, well, at least this didn't happen, or at least that did happen, or whatever. Um, but to be comforted for the sake of being comforted, it seems impossible to me. Right. Um, but in that moment, because we have a visual, we have this thing that has only shown up when it's Connor by himself, for the most part. Um, right. And and basically, Connor is used to talking to the monster and then going to his own... Uh, going off and dealing with the, with life himself. Right. And in this moment, it's like, I can't deal with this myself. I've opened up everything to you. I've said everything. I've said things I don't want to say. I've admitted things I don't want to admit. So can you do me a favor and come with me so that yeah. at least you you somebody who knows exactly how i'm feeling you who knows every thought that i've had every thing i've shouted at least you will be there right and the fact of his presence is comforting not merely to connor but also to us right it feels like somebody that is bigger than the mom than the grandma than mm. connor mm-hmm. it feels like someone bigger someone who understands more is there yeah and and isn't leaving yeah and it's really it it shocked me how much i as a viewer was comforted by the fact that the monster was there yeah and you know, as a, as a God stand in, it helped me a a great deal. The idea of like, that's where the comfort is. The comfort is simply not being alone, that you don't have to suffer alone, that somebody who knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what everybody is feeling and the details of the situation, what they are, that, that that this person is not going to leave you alone to deal with this stuff on your own. And so uh, again, the film deepened my understanding of myself yeah. deepened my understanding of God. Um, and it's just, uh, and it does so without, to, to my mind ever being heavy handed. It doesn't seem like right. that crazy of a metaphor, you know? Um, right. You know, uh, I have I like C.S. Lewis, but I've never been a big fan of the Narnia books. And I always thought that the way characters talked about Aslan, um, often before we see him, um, it always felt like that was C.S. Lewis forcing his characters to talk about Aslan the way you would talk about God or the way right. you would talk about Jesus. Right, right. Whereas this, the metaphor doesn't seem forced. It seems natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it's just a, a marvelous thing uh, about the film, and one thing that I there there's a development there at the end that I kind of predicted, but it's still powerful. That so the monster always shows up at twelve oh seven. Yeah, yeah, uh, a.m. pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, Only one time is it through the day, but that's because. Connor like did. Oh, no, that's right. Uh, in the, in the cafeteria, cafeteria. That's yeah, right. You're, you're yeah. correct. Um, and so, uh, and then it's true. And I, and I had a feeling it's like, okay, 1207. I bet that's when, that's when his mom dies. Mm, gotcha. And sure enough, there mm. at the end, you do have that. And it got me thinking like, oh my gosh, Like my, my, my little pat on the back that, Hey, I predicted that correctly. Mm -hmm. That gave way to something so much more astounding to me, thematically, spiritually, uh, artistically, which is, so the monster in that moment is with Connor, but in a way he's always been with Connor at 1207 at that, like moment. at mm-hmm. that moment he was, he was always going to be there. He was there leading up to it. He knew what 1207 was before Connor did, before we did. Oh, and he wow. knew that 1207 is going to be important and I'm going to be there. I'm always going to be there. Yeah. And it just got me, I don't know that, that yeah. idea got yeah. me thinking about it. Um, and that, I don't know, and I can't. I can't really verbalize more of that thought specifically um, without mm-hmm. getting too abstract. But I, you know what I mean when I'm oh, saying, "Oh, right? yeah."
1: I think I, I think I know exactly what you mean. That it's this idea of uh, well, the thing that the the phrasing that you used <laughs> in talking about the comfort that it feels to know that the monster is there. You said knowing someone uh, who bigger and then understands more. That's yeah. what I keyed in on. Um, the the thing that I have always in my theology and in my theological expressions, and even in my emotional expressions of my faith, I think there's always been the most profound comfort in just simply knowing God understands. Mm-hmm. That's been a big thing. And I think part of it is because me as a person, I have a deep need to understand. Yeah. It's important to me. It frustrates me when I don't understand. It uh, that's, that's just something specific to read that uh, I just – I need to know why a thing is what it is, and I need to understand how it works, and that's just part of my makeup. Yeah. So it's of course a tremendous comfort to me to know that there are frightening, terrifying things out there that I do not understand, but that someone, a friend, uh, you know, I'm just going to call him a friend in the context of this film, uh, a friend does understand. Yeah. And can affect something from the basis of that understanding in my life and in my heart um as is needed because because they do understand and i think for me what speaks so resonantly to me about what you're saying about and that that's what hit me is that it was not a surprise to the monster yeah. at all that that this this moment which made uh have had no specific deliberate significance to connor um, but it was going to be the the moment yeah. the ultimate moment and that's always when the monster showed up and I always thought it was interesting that we talked uh, i think in an earlier conversation about the significance of titles and that the idea of a monster calls but it feels like in the narrative that Connor is always calling for the monster. Yeah. That there's something that Connor's drawing. And you could spend a decent minute talking about the idea of who is who is really calling. Yeah. The film is called A Monster Calls. Most of the beats in the narrative are Connor sort of summoning the monster, as it yeah. were, even unintentionally. The, the, the film definitely lays the groundwork that his uh, unverbalized emotional expressions are what's drawing the monster out. So yeah. Connor's calling it but then you find out ultimately that yeah because the monster was always aware of this information that needed to be expressed so it's almost like the monster was the one calling connor yeah from the beginning and i find that i find that profoundly beautiful i find it absolutely absolutely comforting uh i'm straining to find a synonym but i find it absolutely comforting that as dark and gray and foggy as things can be and as that in between territory can be that somebody knows the landscape yeah somebody knows it so well that they can navigate it and not not be caught up in the darkness not be caught up in the shadow as as, as much as we are yeah that he can actually uh, come find us and and bring us out of it that's the it's a tremendous boon in my heart and mind to think about yeah so I
0: think we're going to um, move on and just read a couple of quick uh, Bible verses here. Um, yeah, we'll read these and then we'll 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 wrap up. Um So Psalm thirty four eighteen, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'll let you do, Joshua.
1: Joshua one nine. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go.
0: And then lastly, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10. You've probably heard this before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will show, be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then this last verse actually has to do with a different point that we already made, and we're going to move on. Um, <clears throat> so, over and over again, like the Bible is... is affirming that God is always with us. Uh, we might not necessarily, we might not feel him. We might not, well, we, we won't see him, uh, at least not the way we are used to. Um, and, and I, maybe that's why I latched onto that 1207 thing is that mm-hmm. like, there were days when that every day leading up to that, to the day of, of Connor's mom's death. 1207 doesn't mean anything. Right. And now it means everything. And right. from that day forward it will mean everything. Yeah. Um and and it's it's almost a way of showing that like the monster knows the future and he knows the significance of things even when we don't or yeah. when we don't yet. Right. And so he knew so he knows that I'm going to I'm going to have to be there at 1207. and I'm going to have to get him used to that. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of God wanting to comfort us and, and being there to comfort us, even in times when we might not feel like we need comfort, when we feel like we're doing fine. Right. Um, you know, uh, let's, let's throw around a couple of things. Uh, April 18th day of my dad's death. That date had no significance. Mm. January 25th, the day of my anniversary. That day had no significance. Yeah, You know, these days aren't, these days or these times aren't important until the moment they are vitally important. Right. And then they will never be the same. Yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of the vibe I get here. But, uh, but God knows of those days long before we do. He knows the joyous days. He knows the sad days and he's there perpetually. Sure. And so, and he is preparing you for those days, and then he's there for you after those days happen sure and so uh yeah it's it's a, this is a film that really just shook me to my core on a level i was not expecting mm. it's so much more than just a grief story if it were that i'd probably respond to it but it wouldn't be high up on my list or anything like that right, but right. because it's engaging with so many things on so many levels yeah um that it that it starts with grief as as its baseline, mm-hmm. which is all which is pretty rough already. Sure, and it uses that as a jumping off point to make deeper uh, points. Uh, I think is astounding, and so uh, I would encourage you, the listener, um, <clears throat> if you haven't seen the film and but you've listened this far, which is ridiculous, um, but uh, really be praying about your own the things that you're not admitting to yourselves. And I don't, I I mean like the stuff that you feel like you shouldn't be thinking the stuff that you shouldn't be feeling, but you might still be feeling nonetheless. It could be something very negative, like like negative feelings towards somebody. Um, And you feel like, I can't admit these to myself. I can't admit these to anybody else. Um, Well, you can admit it to God and it is true, but it is not the whole truth. He knows the whole truth. And he knows that you might have affection for a certain person that at this particular moment, you're not feeling affectionate towards or whatever it might be. And so I would encourage you to really be praying about that and really try to think what areas, what areas in your own life, um, you are not even lying to yourself about it. It's not that it's that you, you just like, I, I cannot say that, say this uh, even mentally, because if I do, it's, it, it becomes more true than if it were just this nebulous thing in my head.
1: Yeah. um, I I wanted to add, uh, very briefly that we haven't even talked this. This movie is so rich. We haven't even talked about like the, the healing power of stories or anything like yeah. that, but, uh, but which is definitely an element in the film, maybe for another conversation. But the, the thing that I wanted to focus in on just in relation to what you're saying about these feelings of shame, I don't think we've specifically mentioned the fact that Connor feels at certain points in the film, uh, like he needs punishment. Yeah. They say to him a couple of times where he destroys grandma's room and is like, you're not going to punish me. And, and his dad said, what would be the point? Yeah. And then he beats the, the bully up and, you know, well, you're not going to punish me. And the teacher says, well, what would be the point of that? And so I, you know, that, that recurring theme of, you know, he feels like he deserves punishment. Yeah. Part of it related to this truth that he's denying in himself, Yeah. that he feels ashamed of that truth. And so because he feels ashamed of it, he feels like he needs to be punished for even thinking that and if you the listener are are hearing that and you've thought ugly things i would just i would say this uh for to anybody struggling or wrestling with something that the lord is not afraid of ugly things yeah. and he's not frightened of of the the dark and we would categorize them as nasty yeah. things that we have to deal with as a matter of fact you know the scripture says that he came for the sick and not for the yeah. well like he he definitely Exhibited to us that he rolled up his sleeves and and got his hands dirty, like went out and sought the one instead of staying with the 99. Like he, he is about stepping into ugly things and about stepping into things that we might not be willing to open up or be honest with ourself or be honest with the Lord about. Um, I would just encourage you so much not to, not to continue to, to, to sit on that and deny it or, or hide them from yourself and from the lord anymore but to invite him into them um yeah and you know uh to go
0: back to the the scene in which connor finally does say i want it to be over and he's still beating himself up for that the monster does not respond with that's terrible connor right but it's but it's not true you know he doesn't say that he says that's totally understandable You want an end to pain. It's the most human thing ever. Mm -hmm. Most of the negative things that maybe not even negative. Most of the things that we don't want to say or admit are things that are, are very human and very understandable. They're human in a way we don't like, but that, that doesn't mean that they're inhuman. Mm -hmm. Um, even, and sometimes it could be a very dark thing, like an impulse that you don't want to admit to anybody, um, that it, that might even be sinful. And because of that, you don't want to say it to anybody, but like, if you take it to God, my guess is his his first
1: response would be, I understand. Well, yeah, the scripture says, I believe in first John, uh, even when our hearts condemn us, that the Lord is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. It's such, such comfort in knowing that when we ourselves are so condemning and punishing of ourselves that, you know, he, he does not look to the adulterous woman and say, you know, he looks at the adulterous woman and says, where are your accusers? Yeah. He told her to go and sin no more because the Lord is about releasing us yeah. from, from the things that shackle us. Right. But you know, he, he does not offer us a hand of condemnation. He, he yeah. didn't come into the world to condemn us. He came to, to restore us and to heal us. Yeah. And sometimes that can be a scary thing to, to even accept yeah. But but it's a necessary thing, I think. And it can be a painful thing as as
0: healing sometimes can be. Like sometimes you need some you need a surgery and you need to heal from that and that's not pleasant but it's infinitely better than oh. the than the alternative. So, yeah, I check out the movie uh if you haven't seen it um because even if you have listened this far <laughs> and we've essentially spoiled everything for you, we're not even, you know, us telling you about the movie is not nearly the same as seeing the movie. Right, right. So seek it out, you know, and by all means, pray about it before you go in, pray about it afterwards. It's, right, there is right. so much going on in this film that I think anybody can get, a, get something out of, but I think Christians especially can get something out of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, you can email me Tyler at more than one lesson.com. You can always leave a, a comment on the post for this episode at more than one You can follow me on Twitter at more lesson, uh, more lessons. You can follow Reed. At Reed Lackey. At Reed Lackey, and then you can uh, like us on Facebook. So I think that is about it. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed the episode. Thank you all for listening. Reed, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. We'll get you next time. Bye.